that said, we just come to you um, and knowing um, it's awesome to be able to know a brother as well as I know Jay, um, know uh, the the fun stuff, the joy of friendship, knowing the difficulties in his life, knowing all of that, and then just watching as you just pour forth your spirit through him. And that's the way it is for all of us, God. Uh, we know that um, when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the gifts that are given, when it comes to the way the body functions, that um, this isn't about us. This is about you. And so we turn with one spirit to drink from the fountain of the, of the spirit, to, uh, to come to the knowledge of the word of God, to know you, Father God. And so we look to you today and we ask, uh, we, anyone who wants to can just extend a hand of blessing toward Jay. And, uh, and we just say, now, Father God, speak to him, speak through him, take over his head, take over his heart, take over his speech, take over our hearts and our ears, God. And we want to see and hear you move in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. It's good to be here. Uh, it's a privilege. I echo all Tim's sentiments. And uh, yeah, we've been through some really bad times together. And one of those bad times was on Wednesday when Tim beat me in our most recent game of one-on-one. So I've never seen him play like that. It'll never happen again. Um, so... I'll have to get a rematch like real soon so I can get my pride back. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2. So I'm here with you as you're talking about uh, in your series here as a church, refocusing on Christ and uh, looking at the book of 1 John, which is um, just a, was one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It was, I did a big Greek project on this when I was in college and just always has stuck with me and been something really enjoyable for me to return to. So I'm really was excited about the passage um, that uh, I was given here. And so it's important to know the end of chapter two and the beginning of chapter three, um, there should be no division, right? Whoever put these chapter markings in back in the day did a really bad job sometimes, and this is one of them. So the, John's thought begins in 228, and it extends through 310, so we're going to go from 228 through 37, right? 228 through 37. So um, you follow along as I read out loud. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So John starts this uh, portion, this thought process, um, having come off of chapters uh, 1 and 2, this whole thought is very much in place. Like there's this flow of God being God and us not being God. 
that God is light, in him is no darkness. When we say that we don't lie or that we're not sinners, then we don't walk in the truth. And there's this very, very big, like, it's almost, he's almost building a dichotomy. God's over here, we're over here. Here in chapter 228, he begins to bring these two things together. And he begins to, to take God's identity as father and our identity as children and to speak them really, really clearly and to define that relationship in really, really helpful ways. So here in 228, I mean, he begins right off the bat by saying, and you, little children, like this is who you are now. Like you are children of God, and he'll reinforce this later on. But he begins with this thought. When Jesus appears, you will not have to shrink in shame, but you can confidently receive his appearing. John works, this is, very, this is very John kind of language, this whole idea of, like, of appearing. It's, it's almost like John assumes Jesus is already here, and we just can't see him bodily. But at the point that he does, he's just sort of going to appear. You know, it's not, we, we tend to think of the second coming or Jesus' revelation as like this massive, like the armies of heaven rushing through and, you know, the shout of the war hor- and the war horses and all this stuff. In John's mind, like Jesus is very much here He's right, right in our midst. And, and were he to suddenly just show himself, we would all be able to go, yeah, we are confident in who we are in Christ. But that all depends on whether or not you're living as a son of God or not. So I was thinking about this text, and um, God just gave me like the, the greatest illustration through my boys. Um, so we're getting ready to, to move. We're moving to a different house across town in Lebanon, and uh, my work. Uh, so we're getting ready to move. I don't know, but like in my opinion, like moving is the worst thing. Um, uh, it's like it's just it's just I wouldn't. I'd rather do just about anything else. I'd rather hang insulation in the summer in short sleeves, listening to country music. Like that would be. I'd rather do that than move. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I was going to say that's not a judgment on country music, but it probably is. I shouldn't, I'd just be lying then, and I wouldn't be of the truth, and I wouldn't be able to finish teaching this. So sorry about that if I offended your musical sensibilities. Anyway, so, you know, when you move, you got to get everything ready. You got to get the house ready to sell, and you got to get all the junk together and whatnot, and you're always amazed at how much junk you actually have. And so I gave my boys a job, and, uh, um, I've got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old uh, boys, girl in the middle. She's 14. So the boys had this job. We got all this junk in the basement. I don't know what it is. I don't care what it is. I'm pretty sure it all should come with us. So I gave them a pile of boxes and said, put all that junk in these boxes and stack it. And they're real excited because they just got a new game for their Xbox. And I know that they're like gonna, they, they want to play this on this day off. Um, but we got work to do. And uh, so... My grandfather's mantra is work until the work is done, then you get to have your fun. And that's sort of like how I try and build my kids. So, uh, so do this job. No Xbox. Right? No Xbox. I'm going to go work. And now they, they had known that I was going to go outside to the shed to work in the shed because there's a bunch of stuff out there that needs to get, get, get together. But I had changed my plan, and I instead, um, in, they have a closet in their room where the light is like pulling away from the ceiling, and that needs fixed because there's like exposed electrical stuff up in there. So I, uh, I, I had changed my mind, so I got my tools, and I went up to their closet to start fixing this thing, the closet in their room. When you walk into my boy's room, when you open the door to their room, it, it opens, so like their door, and the closet is here. So it, the door opens and covers that closet door. 
So, so when their door's open, it covers the closet door. So I'm in their room, and I'm in the closet, and I'm fixing this, and I hear, the, I hear these feet on the step, doom, 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 up the steps. And their door opens, and it closes me into the closet. So, so they don't know I'm in there. And, and I hear one say to the other, just one round. Like, just one round, just one, just one round. So they sit down on their couch, and they start playing this, this, this video game. And uh, just, just one round. And here, I just completely apply John 2.28. And their father appears into the room. You know, just, so the door slam, the door slams shut and there, and there I am. And I just, I just, I mean, I scared the heck out of both of them, but like my oldest had like this, like look of respect. Like that was, that was good. That was, that was, that was well, that was well done, dad. Um, you know, the youngest is terrified out of his mind, you know, and, and it's just this, they're like, I gotta, and, and, uh, you know, so, so dad appears and the last thing they have is confidence and they absolutely feel shame. Right? It's just sort of like, whew, like we got nailed. We, we, got, we got caught. John here says when Jesus appears, we can be confident at his appearing. We do not have to shrink in shame. Why? Because we are the children of God. Because we're the children of God. Then he links it to the next verse, verse 29. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So there's this link that happens. And, you know, in, when it comes to parenting, getting your kids to obey is, is fine. You know, if you can get behavior modification, that, that, that's very necessary at many points in the parenting process. But I don't know about you. I don't want my kids to just, like, be, be behaviorally modified. Like, I would prefer that they actually live out of some core identity that they have that's a really good identity. Um, you know, their own identity in Christ or their own identity as, as, my, as my son. I mean, like, like, this isn't how we run our home, where dad says something and the boys decide something different. That, that, that's out of line with their identity as my kids. That's out of line with the government of my home. That's out of line of, with Jay's kingdom, right? Um, like, Jay's governmental principles are not being enacted, and therefore my, life, my home is not life-giving um, to to us as a family. Th- th- this family picture is not a stretch to what it is that John's talking about here. Uh, so, and so what, what do my boys feel then when they're caught? They feel shame. Why? Because I set a standard for them. Get this job done. Don't play Xbox. They fell short of that standard. And when they fell short of that standard and then got caught in that process, their emotional response was shame. That's what shame is. Shame is an emotional response to missing a mark. Either your own mark or the mark that somebody else sets for you, God's mark, like that emotional feeling that you have of missing that. The scriptures call it like a darkening of the face. Shame causes the head to go down, right? So that's why when God calls himself the lifter of our heads, that's parenting talk. It's like, no, pick your head up. Look at me. Yeah, I know you feel shame. You don't need to. I've got good things for you in mind. It might be painful, but it's good. So, So look at me. Like, let's Let's transact this situation. Let's get this shame lifted off of you and instead put righteousness in its place. We, as the children of God, have this ability to confidently live in the presence of Christ because of our identity in him. We, as the children of God, have the ability 
to live confidently connected to Christ in his presence, abiding in him because of our identity in him. So that when we know that we are in God and he is in us, we can live from that spot very, very confidently without shame, not because of what we do, but because of what he has done. And his righteousness given to us through the the redemption story is a reworking of our identities in Christ that declares us to be the children of God. So when I threw that closet door shut, I could have said to my kids, you know, just unleashed on them, why are you disobeying me? Which I started at. But then it took one step further down, right? We're like, this is not you. This is not who you are. You are, you are not people who transgress dad's line, right? That's, that's not your identity. So let's shift to this thing. Go back and do what it is that I told you to do. Go do what the right thing was that you had been given to do. In the meantime, I will creatively think about how to train you so that this does not happen again, you know, which resulted in the loss of the Xbox for an indefinite amount of time. Um, we'll see. See what, verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called, what, children of God. And that word called there is like named. It's, it's not, not just, you're not, you're not labeled children of God. You're named. Jesus said to Nicodemus that you have to be born again. Right? That's not a, a Christianese phrase for getting saved. God bears you again. God takes you into his womb and births you again. You are not what you were. You are new. You were formerly, the scriptures say, an enemy of God. You were a child of darkness, a slave of darkness. And God rebirths you. You are born again and named his son, right? Named a child of God that we should be called children of God. And then, and then just to send the point home, and so we are. And so we are. Parker Ford Church, you are the children of God. Right? So let's do a little work here on an identity level. I sensed something when we were worshiping earlier that I'm going to go off on for a second. Um, uh, All right, so I'm going to say we are the children of God. You're going to respond, and so we are. Understand? All right, we are the children of God. Yeah, and when we declare that, like that, that is an authoritative posture that cannot become against. Do you ever think that it's a little weird how much Jesus talks about himself in the third person? If somebody walked around, if, like, if there was like a real famous teacher who walked around talking to himself in the third person as much as Jesus did, we'd all be like, I'm not going to listen to that person. But he's always doing it. The son of man this, the son of man that, the son of God right, the Lamb of God, he, he's, he's always speaking in the third person. But any time, and if you look at it, I'm not going to say all the time, most of the time that he does it, he uses the word son in some particular situation or another. Son of man, son of God. He is the son of God. He is son of man. And he is declaring that everywhere that he goes, right? We are the children of God. And so we are. And when you say that, it's with, it's with conviction. I mean, this song that we sang this morning, More Than Conquerors, like the level of declaration and um, truth that's in that. Like I, I was sitting there and I was listening to the song. I was looking at the words and uh, I was listening to you folks sing and there was just this thing and something felt incomplete within me. 
And so I just asked the Lord, like, what, what is this? And um, I felt like God gave me a prophetic word for you, Parker Ford Church, this morning. And it's this. I want to get it right. Hang on. Wrote it down. You are the children of God. Yeah, good job. Thank you. Well done. You, everybody listening? If you don't hear anything else today, hear, hear this. All right, look me in the face. You lack nothing. You are not in want. Everything you think you need, you have. Everything you think you need, you have. You do not lack. Your cup overflows. When we come to a local church gathering, oftentimes we come out of, I mean, I mean, God knows what, you know, we all come from somewhere from this week. And this week, if it was anything like, like my, your week was hard on many levels, in many situations, um, in, in a lot of different degrees. And, and, you know, and we carry that with us into the worship service. And what we oftentimes bring is this posture of, man, I'm so glad that I'm going to the house of God to meet with the people of God because I need this. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't need this. You need God. And you have all of him. And you have all of him. Now, this is a cool place where the people of God come together and where we lift him up together. But we do not do so from a poverty spirit. We do not do so from a lack. We do not get depleted during the week and then come to God on Sunday morning and go, dear God, I hope I get enough of a fill up to make it through this week. Your cup overflows. We worship God from an overflow of his spirit within us. We worship God from the amazing river of grace and this tidal wave of goodness that we are just in all the time because the Lord is our shepherd and we are not in want. And you might say, Jay, you haven't seen my checkbook. I am in want. (laughs) You might say, Jay, you have met my spouse. I'm definitely in want. Jay, I got kids just like yours. We're in want. (laughs) You know, like, you don't know my situation. You're right, I don't, but I know who does. And I know that he's declared the exact same thing for you that he has for the person sitting next to you and for the person, everybody in Pottstown, everybody in this region, which is that he is our shepherd and we do not lack. Your cup overflows. Whether or, choose, whether or not you choose to live with an impoverished mindset is up to you. But just understand the reality of your sonship is this, is that you lack for nothing. Everything you think you want, you have. Because you have Jesus. I'm going to just pray and declare this reality over us. Uh, let's take a posture of receiving. All right. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. We impart this in words that are not not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So God, in this place right now, for each of my brothers and sisters who are sitting here with hearts that are tuned to you,
with minds that want to receive and be in the mind of Christ, with spirits who desire to commune with the Holy Spirit and to receive this interpretation, to receive this word and its application into their heart, into their mind, and imprinted upon their spirit. God, speak these words to them. Speak this word. The Lord is your shepherd. You are not in want. Again, the word of the Lord. His divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Through the power of the one who called us to his own glory and goodness. The glory of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord is your inheritance. He is your inheritance. So in the place where the enemy would come to steal and kill and destroy, where the enemy would come to pilfer your joy, where the enemy would come to pilfer your finances, where the enemy would come to to take a little bit here, a little bit there, where the enemy would come to devour your relationships, to devour your identity in Christ. We say no in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we declare that the people of Parker Ford Church are not up for grabs. This place has been bought by the blood of the Lamb. It has been named by God as the church, as the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God, the flock of God, the house of God. And therefore, no weapon that is formed against her can prosper. So we declare victory in this place over the poverty spirit that says that God doesn't give me out of his goodness. That says that God wants to withhold things or that God plays around with my heart or my mind that I'm, I'm always missing that peace. No, no. We say yes, God, to receiving from your abundance, from your grace, from your goodness. So tune our hearts and tune our minds and shift our focus to seeing that with your eyes because that's our problem is that we, we view these things with the wrong lenses, from the wrong posture, from the wrong place. So God, shift our focus and align us again with our deepest identity in you as children of God who receive from you in abundance and who give in abundance and who move and live in abundance where we worship and where we serve and where we live and where we conduct our business and where we live in our families, where we have our relationships, all these things out of the overflow of what it is that you have done in our lives. So come, Holy Spirit, interpret and apply these things to each heart, mind, and spirit in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. You are the children of God. You are the children of God. Yeah, you cannot tell yourself that enough. Be like Jesus. This son of God, this son of God is powerful. This son of God is this son of God lives in abundance. You know, you speak truth to your own mind. Speak truth to your own spirit. You are going to be come against with lies and 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 um, illegitimate thoughts. Every other place that you go, speak truth 
Speak the truth of God. Speak the truth of your identity. The church needs to stop telling people what to do and start telling people who they are. Because how you view yourself is how you will live. How you see yourself to be are the actions that you will do. Out of the overflow of the heart, so a man is. Verse 2, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he's pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sin and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So, this is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, there's a famous, really well-known picture. Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And then Jesus tells his disciples, what? Does he tell them to bear fruit? No. He tells them to abide in the vine. So to find this same phraseology in 1 John is no surprise. This is a big deal to John. This whole concept of abiding in him, of abiding in the vine. We work very hard to try and produce fruit that in the long run is not actually fruit. It's something, but it's not that. Because our job, our role is not to bear fruit. We do bear fruit. But we only bear fruit in the natural way that like an apple tree bears fruit. An apple tree does not work hard to make apples. An apple tree does not sit there and go, and there's apples. Like, yeah, I did it. Oh, man, I'm exhausted. I need a nap. Oh, gosh, I can't wait till next Sunday when I can bear apples again. This is how we live our lives. Where's ministry? Fruit. You know, and... It, it's sort of like this, like, it's almost like this magician kind of a thing where if you say the right things and if you do the right thing, then you bear fruit. No, service is never the root of devotion. Service is never the root of devotion. Fruit is the result of a life that remains in the vine, and it just happens. And furthermore, the definition of what fruit is or is not is not actually ours to have because what is fruitful to God is sometimes not fruitful to us. And God calls us to things that we oftentimes never want to do. But if we remain in him, stay connected to him, following him, then what we see in our lives is fruit happening that he has complete control over and it it bears fruit wherever he wants it to. It's according to his timetable and in his ways and amazing things happen as a result of it. To live a life that is based in identity in Christ, abiding in Christ, means that then we are, are operating in a way where righteousness is not moralism. Right? Righteousness is not just about like making the right choice in the right situation. The problem with my boys was not that they made the wrong choice. I mean, I mean they did, and that's problematic, but it's not the core problem. Right? The core problem was that they misidentified themselves. My boys are both Jesus followers. They both understand what it means, what God's word to them is about how they engage their parents. They both understand the authority structures that God's laid out in their lives. And for that moment in time, they decided that they were the parent. Right? Their identity was wrong. 
They stopped abiding for that short amount of time. They didn't abide in the government of the family. They instead, they, abide, uh, they abided, they lived in their own government for that, for that point in time. And then as a good father, I come back in and realign them and reconnect them. And this is what, you know, and, and now we train you because you tore yourself off. So now let's bring that back on and put that back in line. And, and here we are again. They, they, they become rightly aligned again. They become right again by being brought back into connection with the vine and then being in the vine, which is right because that's the relationship. So when you see John say sin is lawlessness, no one who is in the vine practices unrighteousness. But people who are in the vine live righteously. That's not a call to morality. It's not a call to legalism. It certainly means living in line with God's standards. But what it's not is working really hard to try and please God. The righteousness of God is not something that you earn. The righteousness of God is not something that you and I can conjure up. And it's not something we can look at ourselves and go, oh, we did that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Your identity is shifted on a righteousness level. Who you were is not who you are. You were not right with God. In Christ, you have been made the righteousness of God. Things are right. So when you fall out of line with that identity, when we stop, being, when we stop abiding in Christ, then we lose that rightness, that righteousness, which may or may not be affecting our choices, but it will always affect the way that we see ourselves. When we sin, it's because we're not seeing ourselves the way that God has made us. Sin is lawlessness. Right? Sin is, it, it's, it, it's a lack of the name. It's a lack of the standard. And the standard that you have now in Christ is righteous. That's who you are. That's your identity. You are not unrighteous anymore. And so when John calls you to abide in him, he's calling you to that core identity. He's calling you to that way of living to that engagement, to being fully who it is that God made you to be in Christ. Choosing righteousness, not because you're disciplined to do so, although that could very well be a good reason why, but that the core is that we are children of God. We are children of God, and so we are. This is our identity, and our identity has shifted. Hang on a second. I'm downloading. Yeah, I went off of what I had prepared, so I want to stay on this track, not not go that way. So I'm going to stick here. Um, When you live as who it is that God made you to be, when you live from a place of identity instead of a place of striving or of work or of lack, um, when you're seeing yourself the way that God does, it provides the opportunity to bear fruit in ways that, that, that you've never known or experienced. So in closing, here's another story about my boys. Um, um, <clears throat> a few years ago, my daughter was taken 
art lessons in Harrisburg um, on Front Street. Now, Front Street runs right along the Susquehanna River. And um, she took lessons at the Art Council, which is, right, which is right on Front Street. Front Street's one of the major roads in Harrisburg. So if there's like a music festival or something, they close down Front Street, and, and that's where it is. So we went to Harrisburg on this one Saturday uh, for her art lesson, and we decided to make a day of it. The boys didn't have games or anything. So we were just going to go down, hang out, have fun, find something to do. And uh, it's really beautiful there. There's oak trees that line the whole uh, park that runs alongside Front Street. It's really beautiful. Um, but when we got down to the city, the place was packed, and we couldn't figure out what was going on. It was hard to find parking. So we, uh, we parked far away, and we started walking toward Front Street, and as we got closer and closer to Front Street, we figured out what was going on. We had happened upon Harrisburg's Gay Pride Parade. So here we are, and my daughter has a 90-minute art lesson. So we drop her off at the Art Council, and we decide to hang out at the Gay Pride Parade, which was my first gay, gay Pride event. And uh, so we're standing there. We're standing there and watching this thing go. And it was, it was actually, it was, it was incredibly fascinating. It was a great parade. You know, it was a lot of fun. People were normal and, you know, it wasn't stupid or anything. It was just this very interesting parade for a very interesting cause with very interesting people. And we're standing there next to this guy. He and I struck up a conversation. Turns out that he's a former pastor. Um, and uh, his daughter is actually marking, or marking, marching in the parade. And we were hanging out, and we, we had good chemistry, so we were just hanging out for, the, for that time. And uh, we sort of followed, we started walking down the parade route with this guy and with his daughter's group that was, that was in this parade. And we're walking down, and um, as we get closer toward the main park where the end of the parade was, this, things got very, very loud. And, and I got very, very offensively loud. And I looked uh, up in front of me, and there, I could see all these signs um, with just very, very offensive words on them um, and scripture verses. And there were uh, two or three uh, guys who had megaphones. They had, it was almost like a utility belt, like a policeman would wear with megaphones like on their hips, and they were, they were uh, speaking to microphones, and they were just screaming some of the most vicious, hate-filled messages in the name of God that I'd ever heard. Um, and they were just, I mean, just, just declaring and wishing disease and suffering and destruction upon these sinners, you know. And uh, it, was, it was awful. And they were reading the scriptures, and they were using it wrongly, and it was, it was, it was horrific. And I was so, so deeply offended um, by, by them and, and by their presence and by what they were doing in the name of Jesus. Um, I tend to speak up in situations like that, and so I confronted one of them. And then he just started laying into me and telling, calling me all these horrible names. And it was, it was awful. It was awful. And so we went across the street to try and get away from, from these people. And I was so, like, angry. I was so full of wrath in the situation on, 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 on every level and every, uh, I was just, I was um, just an emotional basket case at this point. I couldn't hear anything. Everything was so spiritually chaotic. It was, it was vicious. And then I realized I lost my kids. Um, so you ever like ever do that? Uh, I lose my wife all the time too. I just, I just hope somebody knows, I know knows where my, my family is. I'm like looking around because I get into these like spiritual environments. And I'm just sort of like go off in la-la land and then I realize my kids aren't with me anymore. I'm looking around. We're on the other side of the street, which is closer to the river now. And uh, all along the park are these round drainage things um, that have like vents in them. And then in the middle is like a circle like about that, about that big. And my boys were just, I mean, they just, they, they were being boys when it came down to it. They had, they had amassed a pile of acorns between the two of them. 
And they were, <coughs> they were about 10 yards away from one of these drainage things. And they would just pick up an acorn and they would throw it. And they were trying to see who could get the acorn to go into that center hole. Right? And then the, all of these drainage things went down to the river. It's where the, you know, the rain would run off right into the river. So they were just standing there, boom. And, and, and when one of them would make it, I mean, you would think they just like, scored the winning goal in the World Cup. You know? And they, they're just throwing, sitting there. All of this insanity is happening back here. I mean, just in, you know, hateful preachers and gay pride parade and a father who can't think straight. You know, and, and all this is going on. And they're just sitting there. And you know what they're doing? They're just being boys. You know, just th- throwing acorns. What my boys didn't think about, that I immediately thought about, I think just through the Lord bringing this to me, he, the, the Lord was like, pay attention to what's happening here because you need what they're teaching you right now. Um, so acorns, what, a, what kind of tree do acorns grow? Oak trees, that's right. Those acorns go into the drain and then they go down the drain and they plop into the Susquehanna River and then they go south down the Susquehanna River. The current sort of like stirs them off to the side eventually. And then some squirrel comes along and grabs one of these acorns. And he's saving up for the winter. And he goes and buries this thing and then forgets where he puts it. And what grows in its place? An oak tree. An oak tree grows in its place. That's right. And that's what's happened in this situation. My boys are planting oak trees. They just don't know it. Grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. This is the work of the Messiah. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord. Why? That he might be glorified. My boys were simply being boys. Standing back in the midst of all this chaos. In the midst of all this insanity. Just planting oaks just by being themselves. They weren't big on mission. Right? They weren't driven to success or ambition. Just being boys, living as kids, and planting oaks. And it was this beautiful picture of what it is that God wants to do through us as his sons and as his daughters as we just live in harmony with our identities, not pushing back against it, not renaming ourselves to something else, but receiving we are the children of God. We are the children of God. And as we abide in him and live in him, we see rightness in our lives. Not through our strivings, not through our grandiose plans, not through our governmental structures, just by being who it is that God made us to be. Parker Ford Church, we are the children of God. Thank you, God, for our sonship in you. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We receive that again by your power, through your work, by your name. Thank you for redeeming us, for bearing us again, for naming us, for releasing us to be who it is that you made us to be. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.